What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Now, hold on, hold on. Let me let me stop that intro. Before we get going too far into this, I got an announcement I got to make. I teased this on Twitter a little bit. I tried to let you guys know we have a new co-host for this podcast. I'm thrilled to introduce him to you. He is a New Jersey native. He is a product of West Virginia University. He is a former NBA draft pick. He spent a decade playing professional basketball overseas. He is the one and only Deshaun Butler. Deshaun, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm, I'm great, brother. I'm great. I'm thrilled to have you uh, part of this podcast. I'm thrilled to get this thing going. I'm thrilled to start this network. I'm thrilled that you wanted to, to partner with me. I have no idea what you were thinking and why you decided to say yes, but you know, I'm I'm happy nonetheless, man. So um, the, the people that are listening kind of know who I am, know my story, know what I'm about, but I, I want to give you the floor a little bit and just kind of, you know, fill people in on what you've been doing, um, what it was like playing overseas, uh, and, and kind of why you decided to, to come home and kind of step into the media space a little uh, well, well, I graduated from West Virginia University. That's where I played for uh, four years. Uh, I was lucky to play under John Beeline for a year. And I had Coach Huggins to finish off my last three years, which was an amazing three years we had with Coach Huggins. It was awesome. Uh, mainly was res- responsible for me being able to continue to play uh, professionally um, due to those years at uh, West Virginia University. So, uh, I want to give a shout out to to WVU. That's uh, that's the family. That's home always. Um, I got lucky enough to get drafted. I got injured uh, my last game in college, so I kind of thought my playing career was going to be a little bit finished. And I, I got lucky enough to get drafted uh, by the Miami Heat in the second round. And through that time, I didn't really get much time to play in the NBA, but I got a chance to meet a ton of people, learn a ton about professionalism with the Miami Heat and also with the San Antonio Spurs within the same year. Um, between meeting Pat Riley and just, you know, picking his brain and asking tons of questions from him, I mean, asking tons of questions to him and Eric Spolstra. I was there when LeBron and those guys were there. That was a lot of fun uh, for that little bit of time I was there. And then going from there to like the Spurs and R.C. Buford and Tim Duncan and those guys, it was just like, I was learning the entire year as far as just like learning how to be a professional, how to carry myself as a uh, professional basketball player. If you're going to spend I, any time with like NBA organizations, it might as well be with Pat Riley and the Miami Heat or yeah, like I mean, Greg Popovich and the Spurs. <laughs> I couldn't complain one bit, bro. Like it was a, a dream, honestly. I didn't – coming from where I came from, uh, you know, I was I always dreamed of being in the NBA and getting the chance to meet these people and learn from these people. Obviously, I wanted to play and I didn't get that luxury, but – just being being able to be around those individuals and see their work ethic and see all the things that they did on a day to day was uh, enough for me when I actually had the opportunity physically to go out there and play, um, actually you know play the game uh, professionally. Like it, it 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 helped me out leaps and bounds. So 
you, you spend a long time playing overseas and, and you know, yeah, yeah. anybody looking just google Deshaun butler and you'll find his wikipedia page that's how you know you're a big deal by the way is when nah, you have nah, a wikipedia i think literally page. i think everyone has one of those <laughs> I, I don't have one yet man i, I, you, oh I might start my own i might start, start my own for you now <laughs> please please do <laughs> please, man my ego please. needs a little bit of a boost <laughs> Um, but yeah, so you spent you spent ten years overseas, and you played at, at a number of different countries, a number of different organizations, a number of different clubs. So just you know, I, I don't yeah. think people realize one how good the basketball is when you're playing overseas and when you're playing yeah. in some of these bigger leagues, and then two, you know, that life when you are a professional basketball player playing overseas, it's not like the it's not the life of luxury. You're not living the life like the, that an NBA player is. So just you know, kind of take me through what that was like and let people know. Um, very strenuous. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I was very fortunate to bring my family with me my very first year. Um, the very first year I went overseas, my son, right before we left, my son was born in June. So I very weird. Um, I got injured playing in the G league and, uh, I came back to West Virginia to become a GA. I was, I thought I was kind of done playing basketball. The injuries had gotten to me. I was to the point where I was just ex- extremely mentally beaten up. And I needed a year to, you know, get myself together and figure out what I was going to do. And I initially wanted to coach. So becoming a grad assistant at West Virginia, learning from Bob Huggins and the staff, Larry Harrison and the guys, was like the ideal place to be for me. Um, And after being away from the game for a year and working out within that year, my agent called me and told me, he's like, listen, um, there's a team that'd be very interested in having you come and work out. Uh, It's in Belgium. You have to fly over to Belgium. They have to see you work out because you haven't played in a year. And if they like what they see, they most likely will give you a job. So I went over. I went through a workout for, uh, for I want to say, maybe a two-day workout. Uh, shout out to Brad Dean over from uh, in Belgium and uh, Oust, the, uh, the Okapi All-Stars. Um, <laughs> I went over there, tried out, did what I had to do, and, and I got a call back, like, within three days of me getting back into America, and they said they wanted to offer me a contract. And, you know, I jumped on it because I missed playing so much. And then getting over there was interesting. Like, no one really spoke that much English besides my right. team. Um, so and you so let, let me ask you this. How much you uh, take for granted being in an area where people. Right. right. So l- let me ask you this, because when you go to a job interview, like you're going to a job interview in Belgium, right? And then you got to fly yeah. back. Did you fly back? And you were like, you could have just told me this three days ago before I had to come all the way back and now I got to go fly all the way over there again? Yeah, I was very, uh, I was like, ah, like <laughs> the trip back and forth. But I was easy. glad I got that, that little, that last day in America was pretty cool. Cause I, right. <laughs> just, cause I'm going away. It's just like, all right, cool. I'm going to have a good time with my friends before I leave the country and see something I've never seen before. So it was cool to have that, that time. Um, then I got a chance to go back over. My son was born. We went, we ended up going back to Belgium all together and it was the most fun I had like it was one of like my most fun I would say my most the, the most fun I had as a professional like with the team I just felt like the team my teammates made it so much fun and right. went over there we had a good year we went to the championship we ended up losing uh played against the uh you know the number one budget team and if anybody plays overseas like you played a number one budget team their, their budget was about like six times more than ours and we did what we could, but they're a good team. So we ended up uh, falling short, but after that, it just, uh, and th- like it, I was excited to get into the next year and we went from there from Belgium to France and from France to Germany. And I was in Germany for three years, which was awesome. Um, probably my favorite time uh, playing basketball was in Germany. 
um, met so many people, learned so much about myself, learned so much basketball, um, just the players, the league, everything was professional. It was probably the, to me, the next best thing as far as a professional league to the NBA. Right. But um, it was, it was ran perfectly and I enjoyed my time there. I played with some really good basketball players. We had great teams, went to the championship as well and had some undefeated years in the league as well. I want to say we kind of still hold the record for the longest win streak in all of Europe. Um, the team I was on, it was pretty fun um, just being uh, in Germany. And then I got lucky enough to get a, <laughs> a job in Jerusalem. And I went to, right. uh, yeah, I went to Jerusalem and played for the team there. And that was a great organization ran there. Like um, <laughs> great basketball players, great uh, fan support, great everything. Um, it was and it was a high level basketball as well. So I've just been very lucky and very fortunate to be able to travel with my family, have my kids grow up. I had three kids, uh, all of them except for one grew up. I mean, were born in another country. Wow. Um, it's it was just an amazing experience to be able to travel the world and meet and make all these new friends and people I probably would have never got an opportunity to meet players that I never got a chance to play against in college who I got an opportunity to play against overseas and guys that I did get a chance to play against again. And it was just a, it was a great experience. And it was a, it was a ton of fun. I wouldn't trade it for the world other than NBA. I mean, NBA, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing. Where basketball <laughs> can take you. It's, it's amazing. I can't imagine when you were growing up in, in, in uh, Newark, New Jersey, did, is that something that you thought could be possible? Like I'm going to go, I'm going to see the world. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know that this was going on at that time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I my, my, my mind wasn't even thinking about that. It was on a one-track mind. I, I just kept telling myself, like, I'm going to go to the NBA. I'm going to go to a good college. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And everything was just, like, set on this, this goal. And right. I, I did get to that goal in a sense. But this whole – the basketball brought me to places I never thought I'd go and, and, and meeting people I never thought I'd meet and being able to be on teams with guys that – I'm glad I got a chance to meet because I've learned so much about the game and and just about myself being there. So, yeah, and and for you know, you say I don't know if I made my goal, but okay, I I honestly have come to this belief that if you make it to the NBA, if you're drafted, if you make an NBA roster, if you make one practice squad, if you make one practice in the NBA, like you made it as a pro. I don't think people realize. And I've I've gone over this on the podcast before, and I, I don't need to like hammer it home again but I don't think people realize how difficult it is to get a job as an NBA basketball player there's 450 of those extremely different there's like 500 of them if you want to include the two-way contract so so getting there getting drafted means you made it man and and spending trust me like I'm not knocking that at all I I personally when I sat the goal in my head I always thought I joke around I joke with my wife all the time about it because like I'll I'll sit there and so you know as a kid I used to sit there and say, I wanted to go to the NBA. I wanted to go to the NBA, and I got to the NBA. So, yeah, like, I did yeah, what I wanted to do. And obviously, I would have loved to, like, stay there for a long time and have this career. But I ended up having another career in another lane through basketball, which I love. And I had just as much fun. Yeah, so let me ask you this. And I, I didn't research it. I probably should have looked it up beforehand. But uh, that's, that's the preparation that goes into this podcast that people are wondering. But, uh, <laughs> um, so you, you played in Israel last year, right? Yes. Did you play yeah, against – Go ahead. Did you, play, did you play against Denny Avdia? Yeah. <laughs> Big Good. Fan. What do you think? Yeah. The kid, no, no, seriously, uh, I, I, I can't even call him a kid. He's a, he's a hell of a basketball player. Um, uh, initially, you go, like, every year as I'm overseas, you know, you get Americans that come over, usually older, 
and you know you play against guy uh younger guys and older guys whatever the case may be overseas you you run into these players and you get the highly touted players the guys that are supposed to go to the nba the guys that are the next big deal or whatever the case may be and you see them you know we watch Euroleague, we watch euro cup we watch you know just basketball over there all the time nba whatever the case may be and before the season started you know everybody's like you know denny's supposed to be you know a top 10 pick and so on and so forth and I was just like, you know, I'm excited to play against him because, you know, <laughs> he's supposed to be a top 10 pick. He's supposed to be a really good basketball player. And when you run into these guys, there's usually no doubt. Like right. my – I want to say my second year overseas, I was I was in my team in France, and we had a training camp where we played uh, – we ended up going to the Bahamas, and we played against Carl Towns and yep. the uh, Kentucky Wildcats team with Devin Booker and just everybody, basically. And we played that team and we were beating that team. And I remember some of the guys sitting there like, yeah, these guys shouldn't be going top to blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, we have an entire other half to play basketball. And the guys destroyed our team. Like, it was nothing. We, like, the, the, and these are kids. They're 19-year-old, 18-year-old kids just dunking and doing whatever they wanted to certain grown men, not me. But um, <laughs> I had to put that in. But uh, doing whatever they wanted to these guys. And I just, like, I always have, like, when you, when you label these kids, or young, these young uh, adults, teens, like top 10 prospects, I'm always interested in seeing how they turn out. Because when I, from my experience over the past 10 years, when I run into some of these guys, some of them are really, really good basketball players. You run into some guys that need some more work. But for the most part, these guys can go, and people label them that for, for a reason. Right. Especially these guys that play pro overseas. They play against grown men at a daily, on a daily basis. They play against these guys that are were – you know, national players of the year in college and your favorite universities. And they, if they don't make it in the NBA, they happen to go overseas. And if they go overseas, these young guys are playing on the same team as these individuals. So playing against Denny was a lot of fun. Um, watching his game, the first game, you know, I play and then I'll watch and I try to pick apart stuff where we watch, like just on anything else. It's like, all right, cool. He's a great ball handler, rebounds the ball and pushes it. Like doesn't look for guards. He's not tentative, anything like that. Uh, definitely doubted his his jump shooting ability first on first like on first watch, and then we played him another two times, and I got a chance to see his full game and everything he did he did defensively, and I think that's another thing co- the coaches that they have uh, over there, uh, especially in Israel with the Maccabi Tel- Maccabi Tel Aviv, like they do a good job of highlighting the the things he can do really well, and if people to, were to ask questions about what he can't do. If they can do it, he does a great job of highlighting that skill as well. I know a lot of talk was uh, him not being a great defender at one point, too. And then we have games where he was guarding, like, the best player on certain teams and yeah, showing sure. that he can defend the best players in on teams and in the league. So he's just a very – he's a talent, man. I'm excited yeah. to see what it turns into. I watched every game that he uh, that he played over there in um, yeah. in, in Israel uh, on uh, on Synergy. Like I have access to it. It's that I think that's my favorite part about Synergy is I can watch these like random European yeah. and, and overseas basketball games. But I have, I have a couple takes on Denny. And, and tell me if you think that this scouting report is off. Talk First and me. foremost, they played. I don't know how to say this. I'm going to say it wrong. In Dolo Efes, did I say that right? The Turkish team. Efes, uh, Efes, yeah. Ephes, yeah. So they played them in the in the Euroleague, and yeah. it was the final possession of a game. And their best player was, I think it was Shane Larkin, right? Larkin, and, yeah. And and the coach for Maccabi Tel Aviv had Denny chase him off of two screens, and then they went ISO, and they just he just let Denny guard him. So to me, 
when you see that, that means that that coach trusts Denny defensively. Yeah, he trusts right? so he, he trusts an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid over the grown men that are there to do the job. Yes. Like, you know, that's that speaks volumes in itself, man. Like, I was very impressed with him this year. Yeah, Shane Larkin played like four or five years in the NBA. So, like, that dude can go. Yeah. And they just let Danny guard him on the perimeter, 18 years old. It's like so two Kobe how... balls last year. <laughs> like, right, yeah. He's like, he's amazing. He's an amazing player. Like, so, like, it matters if the coach trusts him. Like, that's just yeah. my take on it. The, the other part of it is it's the shooting, right? Like, I, I think everything else is going to – I expect will come because he's a smart basketball player. Like, yeah, yeah. they used him differently in EuroLeague than they did in the Israeli league. They, 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 yeah, they kind of let him rock on the ball a little bit more, like let him play the point, like the grab-and-go stuff. Yeah. Um, he's, Seems like he's right-hand dominant, but I think that can come. And yeah. like the, the, but he understands. Like he makes the ball screen reads. He can throw those passes. He can find like the weak side shooter. So, yeah. to me, if you got a guy where he's able to guard point guards in that kind of situation, he has the ability to grab and go. You can put him into ball screens, and all he's got to do is fix the jump shot more or less. Like I feel like you kind of have to buy in on him. Now, does that mean he's going to be like I don't know, like Joe Ingles maybe? as opposed to like maybe being like, if you put him in the same conversation as Luka Doncic, I think you're making a mistake. Yeah. But if you're saying like, big one. I'm saying if you, if you think he can be like a, you know, a third best starter on like a, a playoff team, I think that he could do that. Yeah, I think, I'm, I'm I buying think him to do that. To that point where he can help a team win. Like yeah. those tools that you just mentioned, ball, being able to be just be a good playmaker, ball handling, pass thing, reading an offense, reading the defense and knowing which plays to make in general. I mean, he, he did those things defensively being able to step up. I always say that about the, like the NBA in general. Like, they'll – if you need to – your jump shot needs fixing, they'll fix it, especially if you want to put the time in. They'll yep. work with you if you put the time in. So, his jump shot will get better and more consistent. I won't even say – it just will get become more consistent because he's not a bad shooter. Like, not some terrible shooter that you could just leave, sag off of and lead open. But uh, just the confidence and consistency in the shot, that'll come over time. And – Everything else, the sky's the limit with him. I feel like he has just he has the right amount of athleticism and speed. He's very shifty. He he doesn't hesitate offensively at all. Like there's no second guessing. He's making a del- like a deliberate pass. He's he what he's doing. He's <laughs> he's very confident in when it comes to him making plays. And I feel and like he'll, he'll dunk on you too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He'll get there. He's not he's not shy. Yep. But I always wonder what position they'll have him in, being that he's like the. He's an in-between. Just like you said, they played him in different positions from EuroLeague to uh, Israeli League. So just seeing where he falls at in the NBA, he's like an in-between height. I figure like he's a good 6'8". So yeah, like, he's big. He's big. He's not small. He's big. He's not. Yeah, he's a 6'8". He's like a 6'8 dude. He could play the wing if you need him to. But at the NBA, I don't know if he's stretching the court immediately. So then will he play four? I mean, because usually you could play what you could guard. Yes. You can guard the wings. They'll play him at the wings. And it's just a matter of figuring out how he can, you know, help immediately. And then they'll fix the jump shot over time and then he'll be a player. But he's he's a hell he's a hell of a talent, man. I was yeah. very impressed. Especially the last time I got a chance to play against him. That yeah, was I mean, like, he's one of those guys that's gotta be the right fit, right? Yeah, right yeah, definitely, right definitely. organization, right culture, and I think he's got a chance. All right. So yeah. let's talk about college basketball. Let, let's switch things up. And the big story over here in the United States recently. Um, has been Greg Marshall and the way that he's treated his players. And, and, and you know, Jeff Goodman at Stadium has put all these stories out. And uh, I have a lot of takes on this. Um, I don't know if it's something that, that we need to go too deep on. But what I do think is interesting is that 
the way that Greg Marshall coaches, like the, 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 the intensity, the yelling at you, he's not afraid to like MF you up and down the sideline yeah, in front of everybody. Uh, that's not all that different from the guy that coached you in college. But I think yeah. what is different is you're never going to see a story come out about Bob Huggins where you have all these former players saying he did that, he, he did that, he's, uh, he's a terrible person. You know, you're never going to see that. And I'm just kind of curious, like, why is it that he can coach that way and he still has, like, his players still love him? You know, like, what is it about Hugs that brings it out? Like, is there a difference between um, being tough and providing tough love, if that makes sense? Yeah, there's a line. <laughs> I feel like uh, <laughs> I know with at the end of the day with Coach Huggins is very, very simple. He's always been able to draw that line um, with how he coaches and how he's, he's able to to get on guys more or less. Like our rule is always like, you know, if he's on you, he'll allow you to say what you need to say. Just want, just a little bit. You can't just go o- overboard, but he'll let you explain what's going on. If there's an issue or you're having an issue with what's going on, he's not the kind of guy that will let you just sit there and get yelled at and then just bottle it up or something like, he's like, no, tell me what your problem is. So there's, there's that being that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for that a uh, democratic aspect of it where he's like, <laughs> he's involving you and in what's going on. He's like, he's not going to just sit there and bark at you and you have to sit there and just like take it. So we can talk back and forth Two, he always like, he, he never really kept anything personal. He like, he never made it too personal. Like it wasn't like something where he's attacking someone's race or attacking somebody's, like something personal about their family or anything like it's just never been like that. It's, it's always been about what you're doing on the court and on the, and in the game. And then after practice is done or after the game is over, regardless of how bad you played or how bad you practice, it was always like love. It was a hug after practice. It was always jokes after practice. It's always jokes before practice. It's just that when it's time for practice and it's time for games, it's time to lock in. So we never had any issue. I would never assume many guys will have an issue with coach Huggins because he's always, he's always been a hundred percent. He's always been a hundred with how he dealt with everybody. Like this is the same to me. This is the guy that he had a recruit that uh, was like a top 50 recruit, really good kid. My, I want to say my sophomore year or so. And the kid broke uh, his foot and his shin, like playing around in his high school hallway, just like, you know, running up and down the hallways in high school with his friends or whatever. Broke his leg basically, and base and lost all the scholarships. And Coach Huggins could have easily just like, all right, kid, like you can't help us next year. So no, he gave a guy a scholarship. He helped the guy get through college. Like these are things you don't have to do. Like you don't have to do stuff like that. Obviously, the guy worked his tail off when he got here, played hard, did what he's supposed to do, uh, finished school. Like, but th- those aren't things you hear about. Hall of Fame coaches doing all the time. Like you don't hear like they, they, you hear about the the uh, the, all, the all American guys they have or the guys that do really well. They get to the Final Four. You hear all those stories, but like Coach Huggins like deals with. You can sit there and say Coach Huggins does the things that most coaches won't do. He'll go the extra mile for you. He'll. We had guys on our team that we like our teammates like with me and my teammates. Some of us didn't get along, and he's. Coach Huggins would pull people aside about listen, like he has like we all got issues, we all have things we're going through, family issues, blah, blah, blah. One of your teammates has a family issue. Maybe you need to stop pointing at him and saying, You're not doing this, and then see what the problem is. And this is the same guy that will 
MS somebody on the court because they didn't do what they were supposed to do too. Like the same kid, you know, and it's nothing personal. It's the basketball game. There's a line, there's a respect like factor in it. There is no room in sports. I feel like when you break, you break that, the, you like cross that line on, on people's races and just, just are basically cruel in a sense. I hate to say cruel because it makes it seem like it's like a, <laughs> like it's a bad thing, but more or less, I mean, it is a bad thing, but you're just antagonizing your players that you brought there. Like you looked at parents in the eye and said, you're going to take care of them for the next four years, whatever the case may be. So only to bring them there and just like antagonize them and punch them or whatever the case, I don't know what happened, but from what I read is, you know, punch them in the back of the head of the practice. Punch them in the back of the head. It's race jokes. There's this, there's that. I feel like you're an assistant coach. Like you can't do those things, man. You're a leader and people are sitting there like watching your, your every step. Like these are young men that are watching your every step. You can't do, there's certain things you can't do like in front of your players and you can't have certain things come come to your players. Like they're, you're the, basically one of the only adults that they're going to be around for the most time. Yep. The most part. They're becoming adults. So that's the like becoming of age in a sense. So like, you can't be out here doing that and then smiling in front of the camera. It's like, it's, it's like, it's so, it's so low. I kind of feel like it's a weird thing to do to sit there, shake hands, smile. Yeah. We're doing the right thing by these guys and then go behind closed doors and, and punch people and especially when you're making three and a half million dollars in there exactly. they're, That's am, a lot of- they're amateur athletes that you're supposed to be you know helping to turn it to, yes to, to me and tell me if you think i'm off here i i think the biggest difference is the way that it's received by the people that are on the end of getting yelled at right like no definitely that is also a big point i, I talked to many people about that it, it's the difference when you have a coach and you and your coach have a bond where you can make a joke and it's not the end of the world to you. Maybe you guys see eye to eye on that joke, I guess. It just depends on your bond. But obviously, when players from past teams and players from the following team and then this team are, like, coming together saying, you know, this wasn't cool, <laughs> like, yeah. obviously something was wrong. Like, you know, it, it, took a, it takes a lot for – groups and groups of people from past teams to present teams to sit there and go yeah that's yeah, this not wasn't right. right this wasn't yeah, it's right. not right yeah so it's like when you know that someone is screaming at you and pushing you and and it's coming from a place of love because they're they're doing what they can to get the best out of you where if you mess up yeah they're going to yell at you in practice but as soon as you get that jersey jersey off it's like you said the, the arm around you they're going to give you a hug they're going to tell you that you know we got this we're going to figure all this out that's very different than when you think this is something where you know they they don't like you or they're yelling at you the the example in, in uh jeff goodman's story that was on stadium that really like struck me and kind of bothered me was the kid that ended up like he said he hasn't come out of his basement in like three years like he drove the kid to depression and isolation and and you know even if he had anxiety problems beforehand he exacerbated that like you're so yeah you're supposed to be helping these kids and if he doesn't know if it's gotten to the point where he doesn't know that you are are doing the best you that you can to help him develop as as a human being in addition to being a basketball player yeah that's when it becomes problematic and like i just yeah, I don't like, see how Greg Marshall. Yeah, right. Just the money. Like, if you, like that's what I'm saying. Like if you sit back and like you just look back through his entire career and then see how long he's been doing this, and then to present is just like, yo, what are you here for? 
like to abuse people. Like it's like it's a terrible. And I hate to say abuse like these guys like like these kids are like because there's obviously like this is a form of abuse. It I is. mean, there's obviously worse. There's obviously worse abuse, but like this is a form of abuse. And I'm pretty sure like these kids would have loved to be in other universities, being treated absolutely way better than they were just there. But they took a chance on this coach, and they lit, they they wanted to work hard, and obviously they didn't make them happy. And maybe some of those guys even contra- continued to try to make them happy, and it still wasn't enough. Obviously, in that kid's case, to the point where he's buried himself in his basement for three. Like, what did you get into coaching for, bro? This is not this is not what this is about. This is like student athletes, student athletes. If you really want to push the student athletes, and Obviously, to play, like pay play and all that stuff is a different conversation. But like, you you can't out, sit here and just like, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. We can't have it that way either. You can't do that. Yeah. You can't sit there and have these kids like, sl- like basically slave slave them, and then also have them subjected to this. Like that's that's uh that's a bad uh that's can't a bad that thing way. happening. There. Hopefully, they fix that soon because they yeah. I heard they still have still there. Until they figure out if he did it or not, but it's like they're they're investigating right now. They shut they shut everything down because of COVID. Like there were a bunch of positive tests on the on the roster, Uh, but I mean, there he's practicing now, which is just like I can't. This is the guy that was responsible for the the abuse that that happened to these kids before that drove children back home to the abuse. Like yes, the the issue is his abuse of power. And you're giving yeah. that person with the power back into a position where they can do the same thing over and you, you can't do that. Not when you're doing the investigating. Like, how are the how are you supposed to trust that you're gonna get an honest answer out of this investigation when the guy that is in power is still in power? And the, the, the guy abusing yeah. his power is there still. It just who can they who can they ask that's there? They have to talk to people that aren't there now. Like you basically exactly. like quarantine the investigation to people that are not there anymore. Because the people that are there are tainted in a sense. Like they yeah. they want to play. Unless they can speak freely, like they probably want to play. I mean, yep. in that situation and the, the Penn State one, like I mean, I, I, it's strange. Like, why people want to coach? Like, it's like, why do you want to coach? Like, <laughs> makes no sense, man. It's, it's all sick, right, so man. let's let's talk a little bit about this season. Um, all right, so you're still in Morgantown right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. What's, what's Virginia's thought about as a favorite to win the Pac-12? Yeah, or, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the Big Twelve. So, like, what do you make of this team? What do you make of that conference? And uh, try to talk to me. Like, I think that watching West Virginia this year might be, like, the worst basketball that you're going to watch. They're going to win games. But it's, I don't think it's going to be very pleasant at all. My, really my take is that, well, I, I, my, my take is this, that okay. Bob, Huggins, Bob Huggins' offense is going to be, I want, I want you guards, just throw it up as soon as you get across half court. Let, let We got these two big fellas. We got Oscar and we got Derek. They're going to go get the offensive rebounds. That's how we're going to okay. score. I don't think it's going to be okay. pretty. They're going to win games. Like I, I think they're probably like a top 10 to 15 team, but it ain't going to be pretty to watch. Well, let me see. I would say that was half of last year. I don't think that's – obviously, in my personal opinion, I don't think that's his uh, his offensive uh, – <laughs> his <laughs> offensive depth is, you know, get over half and ho- hoist it up. That's what it looked like, though. Um, last year, Jordan McCabe didn't have, like, his best shooting year. He hadn't played uh, well, I would say, probably, like, half the year. He didn't really play too well um, last season. But, like I said, I'm here, and I get a chance to see the guards. We had a good year from uh, Deuce – uh, Deuce McBride, which was awesome, with freshman, mid-range assassin. So that was hope. We had a guard that uh, that uh, came and stepped up when we needed him to. 
and we have him back coming back this year. Uh, Emmett Matthews coming back this year. I feel like our team has the majority of the guys coming back this year with re, like new talent that is coming in this year. Uh, we have we have shooters now. Well, Sean, Sean McNeil played a he played very poor early on in the year, but that's ex- usually that happens a lot with Coach Huggins because it takes a long time for the guys to get adjusted to what we do in practice. Like we play, we practice very hard. We play very hard, which is like you said, it's not going to be pretty. So we play hard, and it takes a while for guys to get adjusted. But I'm expecting a big year out of Sean McNeil. I'm expecting a big year out of Tash Sherman. I'm expecting a big year out of Jordan McCabe and Deuce McBride. I'm expecting. I'm just expecting a lot. Emmett Matthews with with Oscar and DC. I can't. And then obviously the what do you call it? Isaiah Cotter we just got there who's very very good and got has gotten very very big and strong since he's been here it's very strange like he's it looks like he's got about like 10 pounds of muscle added onto him like it's very strange but uh i had a 10 pounds during quarantine too man but it was the wrong yeah kind of yeah is it muscle though that's what we need to figure <laughs> out we'll get to that later don't 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 beat yourself up man <laughs> all right don't so how do you see up. the rest of the big 12 playing out like is Baylor the favorite west virginia the favorite I am biased. <laughs> of course, I think West Virginia is going to do well. Of course, I think we're going to win. But if it doesn't happen that way, Baylor is picked to be a favorite. I mean, I still think Kansas. They, I feel like they downplay Kansas right now because of the whole stuff last year. I feel like Kansas is going to be really, really good this year. They got the uh, point guard Bryce. Uh, is it Bryce Thompson? Yep. Freshman guard. They expect him to, like, come in and do a ton of scoring. I'm excited to see him. Of course, they got the defensive player of the year coming back. He's a lockup. Like, in uh, – what is it? Didn't he average, like, the sec- like either the second or most assist in the league last year? He led the league in assists last yeah. year, I believe. Yeah, and assist to turnover ratio, right? too. Like, six for five. Yeah. And he's – like, he's a good – he's a good player. Like, he knows his game. He knows himself, which makes it easy. So, with a guy like Bryce Thompson's coming in there to score or help with the scoring – like, he doesn't have to worry. Like, you want him to distribute the ball, but he can focus on being the scoring guard that he is. Like, I feel like Kansas is being downplayed, at, like, this year specifically. But Baylor has everybody coming back, and plus the transfers. And I don't know, bro. Baylor's actually really good on paper. Like, they got the entire team coming back. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Kansas and them kind of flying under the radar a little bit. It feels like all the Blue Buds are. Like, Duke is flying under the radar a little bit. I think they're going to be really good. No one's really yeah, talking about Kentucky the way they normally do, and they're going to be really good. Um, yeah, my thing with coaches, Kansas, the coaches do a lot. The coaches carry a lot more than you think they do, man. Regardless yeah. of if people evaluate talent, how they evaluate it, the coaches do a lot more than what you, you think they do. I have a question for you. Hit me. What do you think – Texas is going to be like this year because I know I'm a big fan of Shaka Smart and I know he's in a hot seat. So <laughs> like I know he's my, in a hot seat. My thing with Texas <laughs> is they bring back 12 guys from last year that were that all yeah, had. Which they didn't point, think they were going to get. They didn't yeah, think they, they were going to get them back. Bring back 12 guys and they got Greg Brown coming in. 11 of the 12 yeah. guys they bring back started at least one game last year. When they made their run at the end of the season, it's when they had a bunch of injuries and their rotation shrunk down to like seven or eight healthy guys. So everyone was getting minutes. So what happens now? You have 13 guys on that roster that all deserve and are going to think they deserve in some way, shape, or form like serious minutes. How do you balance that as a coach? Like to me, that's the hardest thing. On paper, when it comes to putting together 
the lineups and saying, okay, you got these guys, athletic guys, you got Jericho Sims, you got Royce Han, uh, you got uh, what's Kaiser, um, I'm blanking on his name, the big guy, the sophomore. I, I should know his name, whatever. The, the Texas fans know who I'm talking about. So yeah. you have all of these guys coming back, all of these, these athletes coming back. Matt Coleman is going to be a senior point guard, and he's a stud. Andrew Jones is a bucket, man. He makes shots. Yeah, bro. How are you going to get all these guys enough minutes to keep them happy? Like, that's my biggest thing with Texas. It's not the basketball itself. Like, yes, Shaka needs to figure out what he's doing offensively. Defensively, they're going to be fine. But they don't get to the free throw enough, bro. I, yeah, I, I mean, that's part they of why they're a, not they shoot, they, shoot a, they don't get to the cup. They don't get to the cup. They don't like being touched. That's a big thing. That's not – and when you're, when you're a team that plays defense the way Shaka wants to play defense, you've got to be tough and physical. I just Exactly. You would think that it, trans, it transfer, uh, transfers to the, the other half of the, the court, but it's uh... – I just I – don't, <laughs> I don't understand how you keep everyone happy on that roster. I don't know I how you do you it. I think you can't. I feel like you really can't. I feel like, just like you said, the best time they played last year toward the end when they went in their run, when they had those injuries, the, minimi- the, like the minimized roster number. Like, I feel like six to eight guys is just enough. Mm-hmm. And you got to keep the other guys on board. I mean, they got to understand what the, the goal is. Like at the end of the day, like it's, if anybody needs to be explaining what the goal is and making sure he's getting that through to the team is him. Like it, at the end of the day, if we win, we all get something out of this. This isn't like, you know, I win, I stay lucky me sucks for you. This is like, if we win and do really well, that's jobs for our seniors and juniors, whoever that whoever's ended up leaving or not. That's, uh, preseason uh preseason wars and and mm-hmm. bigger looks and overseas jobs for the future for everybody that buys in like this is i feel like if anybody needs to really send the message home it is the coach because you got to shorten that roster and you have to explain to the guys like if you want the minutes you got to really earn these minutes because we can't play 15 people 13 people and then expect to yeah, it doesn't so, happen that way <laughs> it's so, tough. So let me ask you this when you were 19, would you have thought that way? Or you'd have been like, no, man, F this guy. I'm not playing. I'm, I'm out of here. Get me up I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't expect to play uh, my very uh, my very first year. So, like, me playing was – it was a, a blessing in itself. I mean, <laughs> I thought uh, I was going to play, but, like, I didn't think I was going to get the minutes I ended up getting. So, like, at the end of the day, you got to be realistic. Hopefully the kids and the, the individuals in the team are realistic. And hopefully the coaches are doing a good job of bringing them to reality as well. And – explaining what they are what they expect from them and if they can't meet those expectations right away it's going to take time and those minutes will be there this is an entire season hopefully so you know you gotta you gotta buy in we gotta win so we can all be happy it can't it's not always just like one group can be happy and obviously because if if he doesn't have the season they're expecting i heard it was like something along the lines of if he doesn't win a championship or something i was like geez Talk about just putting that out. Ass. That's a that, big that is a ass. big in that league too. That is a big like, ass. Exactly. Like exactly. Excuse me. Like they're not. They're not even. <laughs> they're not in the top. What? They're not in the top ten. I don't think. Top the, five. The, the truth. The truth might be they may not be one of the top two teams in the state of Texas in the Big Texas. 12. Like yeah. That's, like, that's a bit. That's a lot. That's not. I also say I kind of. That's why I said the hot seat is like a little bit hotter than usual. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of him. Like I, uh, I'm a big fan of him as a person and as a coach. I, I, I like watching his teams play. So, like, I'm ho- hopefully that that pans out for him personally. So, yeah. Well, and listen, man, we've, 
we've kept you here long enough. We got a little bit of a Big 12 preview, and we got in some West Virginia Bob Huggins stories. We even got into a, a random scouting report for Denny Abdiaz. So, Deshaun, <laughs> thank you for coming on. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're going to be a co-host. I think that we're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast moving forward. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe our new thing will just be Bulls music on the intros. I mean, gee, that felt good. I mean, that's the the closest <laughs> I ever felt like Mike. So that's <laughs> that was pretty dope. Like, you know. There you go, man. Well, that? listen. So listen, everyone, if you're still here, it means you love the podcast. So rate it, review it, subscribe, do everything that will make us happy as podcasters. And we'll see you guys again next week.